This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. (laughs) (laughs) If you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, Peace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Okay, wow, friends. Let me just say now, buckle up for this episode. I This might have been the most fun yet serious episode I've ever had on the podcast. Also, I'm just being transparent with you. I'm not sure if I've ever clicked more with a guest in my entire life on the podcast. I had Dr. Jennifer Bird on the podcast. She is a New Testament scholar who is writing a book about what is biblical marriage. This guys, I'm telling you, just buckle up. This is a, this might be an uncomfortable conversation for many of you. I'm just letting you know, especially if you hold the Bible like I do as sacred and still authoritative in your life in some way, shape or form, because she kind of blows away a lot of the, let's just say stereotypes that many of us evangelicals have been given about the Bible being quote unquote clear on what marriage is. And it turns out the Bible's view of marriage is a little more problematic than maybe we thought, but I'll let her explain all that. And we also at the end dive into the importance of wrestling with the text. So that's all I'm going to tease for this episode, but wow, this was incredibly thought-provoking, enjoyable, and really life-giving for me. So, uh, Jen, thank you for coming on and for listening to this. Um, it, it meant the world, and thank you for helping us in our journey um, just wrestling through the Christian tradition. So, that being said, friends, of course, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. If you want to support the work that we do, you can like and subscribe this podcast episode and share the episode, or we are a nonprofit organization holding space for thousands of people as they navigate better paths forward in the Christian tradition. If you want to donate to make that work, possible, you can click on the link in our show notes. Friends, that's all I got for this one. Just buckle up because we're going there on this episode. Talk to you all next time.
We're live. <laughs> We're going to have fun. I think so. We're going to have fun. Okay. I think so. Let, let me get this intro going so we can hop right into it. So, uh, friends, I, I just had a good feeling about this, and and I am honored and pleased to bring you Dr. Fer Jennifer Bird on the podcast. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself in a minute, but I will just say before we started recording, uh, as we were kind of touching base, I was like, "Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have a good, good, good time uh, on the podcast." So, uh, Jen, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's a treat and I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited about what you all are doing. So I'm excited to have you. I before we get into the the nitty-gritty, why don't you kind of introduce yourself to the audience? I mean, I'm kind of curious, okay. what is your background? Did you grow up evangelical or Christian? And then, you know, explain your work. Sure. Yeah. I grew up Christian, I would say. Um, Methodist, United Methodist. Mm. Um, kind of middle of the road in terms of that stuff. But yeah. in high school, I took a kind of a swing more evangelical on my own. And much to my, I think would say, my family's chagrin. And I was involved <laughs> <laughs> with a parachurch organization called Young Life. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, you know, like a kid in high school, but then I was a volunteer all four years of college. I went on staff for two years afterwards. So I had this, yeah, I had this very, for me, I, I was in a more fundamentalist kind of reading of the Bible because yeah. of that group, that community that was really important to me. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of pieces to my story, so it's better to just hit the highlights, right? The most interesting ones. My mother, my mother was ordained when I was about 20. I was in college. And so I'm in my fundamentalist reading of the Bible, right? Like, keep in mind, I had female pastors growing up, but like, because of my reading of scripture, I was not okay with my own mother getting ordained, right? Mm. And my 20-year-old self, I don't know if you have children, Tim, but- I have a two-year-old and an 11-month-old. Okay, yeah. So, you know, 18 years from now, them saying this to you, um, I turned to my mother on her ordination day, right? Yeah, I love the look on your face. <laughs> and I was like, so I don't understand how you can, it's it's against God's will to get ordained, mom. I don't know how you could do this, basically. On her ordination day! like Jeez Louise! Right? <laughs> and uh, much to her credit, she did not push me out of the moving car that the two of us were riding in at the time. Um, I mean, usually I hear stories about parents giving their kids trauma, not the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> right? So... Yeah. So she tells me your story and she's like telling me all this stuff from her perspective, which I hadn't seen as a kid. Anyway, I sure. I always share that. I like sharing that story because it's just kind of emblematic of, yeah, I grew up in a very, in a kind of progressive setting, but I went very conservative and it very much determined how I read, you know, against all other evidence around me, you know? Mm. And then I had some people kind of giving me some input and, you know, kind of talking to me about what's going on with the scripture. And yeah, there might be more than one way to read some of this. And that sent me to seminary. I was like, if I can read some words attributed to Jesus differently than I've always thought, yeah. by looking closely at the Greek, what else am I missing? You know? Right, right. So that's why I went to seminary was to learn the biblical Hebrew and Greek and had no idea what else I was going to get into along the way. And... Um, that kind of led to PhD work. So I did end up with a PhD in New Testament, early Christianity from Vanderbilt and wow. yeah, master divinity from Princeton. And I've been teaching since, you know, full-time, part-time since 2007, but also I taught some in the years before cause I was a math major and undergrad and education minor. So teaching is an like actual transformation of thought is kind of my thing. And it just so happens I've landed here, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really helpful to know. W- would you say that at this point in your life, you would identify as Christian in some way still? It's a tricky question, and I know you yeah. don't mean it to be, or I, don't, right. I imagine you don't mean it to be. But part of the question for me is, what do you mean by that? Right. Yeah. So I'll put it this way. Do you find yourself somewhere in the massive house of the Christian tradition spending over 2000 years somewhere, somewhere in there? I mean, you got people like, 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 uh, you know, uh, John Dominic Crossan who's in here. You got John Shelby Spong. You got, you got John Shelby Spong and I, so, Shelby Spong and I corresponded. Yeah. He likes my stuff. Okay. okay. Liked it. Yeah. Before he, <laughs> yeah, we're grateful yes. for him. Um, yes. I, you know, I, the thing at this point is I can identify with and love like the social gospel. Right, mm, the, that mm. thread that I read, like in Ju- in Luke, or some pieces there, and and then that way I can cling to like this guy Jesus was standing up for something that's important that we've predominantly pre- that the church predominantly lost over the years and right. sp- spiritualized his message. So on that level, I can't. I don't feel the need to. Is the yeah. thing? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Okay. No, that, that's helpful. I, I like asking all of our guests that because it just helps the audience know, like, okay, sure. like, like where where are we sitting here, right? Where's this person coming from? Exactly, yeah. right. So I, I'm I'm really excited because I was telling you before we started recording, I found you on someone else's podcast talking about marriage, and that you're writing a book on that. You told me yeah that your a book's coming out on what's the actual title of this book that you just wrote? <laughs> well, it, the ti- the main title is uh, Marriage in the Bible, and we're still uh. working with the subtitle. Yeah. Subtitle is something like what do the texts say or engaging these engaging the text for this crucial conversation, something Jen, like that. Jen, I'm here to help. You need a more <laughs> clickbait title. Okay. Like how about something like the Bible and marriage blowing up reformed theology with shit view on it? How's that? Well, I actually had I do not think it means what you think it means for a while that they said no to that. They said that's a little too snarky. No, that, I mean that, that's fair enough. I mean, listen, I'll I'll be snarky online on your behalf. Okay, okay thank you. Um, thank you. So, I, I, this is actually a very important question because okay. a lot of us are, you know, we as an organization, of course, are queer affirming, and yeah. and this idea of marriage. Um, on one hand, I'm married, uh, um, and I I find marriage beautiful. I have made yeah. a covenant with my partner that hey, we're yeah. going to be committed for life. Right. I think that certainly the marriage is is a very beautiful and sacred thing. Mm-hmm. However. I was taught that, I'll put it this way. I was taught that we get there by just reading the Bible. Like, hey, listen, the way you, you get to this, this sacred view of monogamous heterosexual marriage for life is you just read the Bible, oh. and the Bible is extremely clear on oh. what marriage is, right? Ouch. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, sure. Ouch. And a lot of us did that. And then we took the words of our pastor seriously and started yeah. reading the Bible for ourselves. Yeah. And we go, wait a second, like four chapters into Genesis, you know, <laughs> Lamech like has two wives and I, I don't see God smoting Lamech exactly. for this. Exactly. Um, or I think it's in first Samuel where Nathan is prophesying, uh, you know, on behalf of God to David and D- God pretty much says, I gave you your, 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 your previous King's wives. That's like a gift almost. And you're like, totally. okay, is, wait, does God endorse polygamy? Exactly. And then you, and then you're told, no, 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 you just aren't reading the Bible correctly. All right. So, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious to have this conversation with you because you're someone who has done the real legitimate work to try and parse out how does the Bible approach this topic of marriage and i'm i'm here to kind of help uh, see the question answered is it what i think it i was taught it was does that make sense totally 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So maybe to start real big picture and we'll kind of yeah. hone down. I know there's a sure. lot going on. You know, yeah. I, I, maybe in like a thesis statement, yeah. ultimately for you in your research, how would you maybe talk about marriage and the Bible as like an introduction for our conversation? Hmm. Okay. You have one minute. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, wait, how do I, what's the, yeah. So, um, okay. So yeah, I thought you were going to ask me a different question, but so that's, that's good. What is it? Um, marriage in the Bible is an ancient, tr- practical, right? Procreative focused thing mm. with women as property and very little voice. And can I do like a semicolon? Never do we see a, a marriage entered into by two equals, mutually choosing to, nor built on love. How's that for pump, starter? Pump the brakes, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. I want to make sure I heard that, that, that after the semicolon part correctly. <laughs> You're saying that in your study, detailed study of this yes. topic and the Bible, yeah. there is never a time where a marriage is entered into by two co-equals Based on love? Correctly. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But hold on. All right, all right Jane. Let me uh, just blow away your argument real quick. Here yeah, we go. Sure. Okay. All right, I'm going uh-huh. to I mean, try. Adam and Eve. G- Genesis 1. Who you know? said? Oh, yeah. Genesis 1. There's no marriage there. All right. Genesis 2. There's no marriage there. What? Yeah. Adam and Eve, Jane. No. No marriage. But, 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 and not to speak too ill of this person, but Franklin Graham taught me early on that Genesis one and two are the foundational principles. That is right. That's for, right. For a, for God ordained marriage. That's right. That is what the tradition has done. That is what they have taught us. And that is how they, and, and that started, by the way, long before Jesus even hit the scene. Like the Jew, Jewish rabbis were doing this early, early on, saying, Genesis one, see, God ordained this thing. Well, but so what What I do in my book, obviously I can't take it as all the steps that I do in the book right here sure. with you in this conversation, but what, you know, if you take a step back from one of the things I talk about is, you know, what, what it's, what's the genre here? What is actually going on in Genesis, especially say Genesis 1 through 11? Like we talk about that as primeval history. What does that mean? What are we looking at here? And the thing is, if you can set aside your, your presupposition, that Genesis 1 and 2 are talking about marriage, just set that aside and look at what the stories, these are two separate creation stories, right? Look at what those two stories are interested in, right? What are they interested in doing? Because in Genesis 1, you know, God tells the animals to be fruitful and multiply, and then he tells the humans to be fruitful and multiply, and then he tells the humans what they can find to eat in the kitchen, which is, by the way, all vegetarian, vegan, and then he goes on to do this and that and this and that. And it's like, wait, was this about saying God is ordaining something that we call marriage? Or is this talking about, you know, things coming to being, you know, did those two humans need to be told to go get busy making babies and have dominion over them? No, they didn't need to be told that. This is a poetic thing going on. And we're just talking about the world. We're not trying to define marriage. Mm. The other piece to this, and that is Genesis 2.24 is, 1.20 and 2.24 are big for Christians in terms of defining biblical marriage. Right. The, the thing that bl- just like, what? <laughs> 
big, big shift for me initially yeah. was, was in looking at Genesis 2.24 and realizing that actually realizing when it says, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Right? That's what mo- that's what every English translation says. Yes. No, it's woman. A man shall leave his parents and cling to his woman, and the two shall become one flesh. There is no marriage taking place. There is no verb to marry. There are no nouns to differentiate between man and husband or woman and wife. It's just man or woman. And that there's actually a caveat to that, but that's just the basic starting point. So when two, you know, when it says, you know, God saw that this one shouldn't be alone, it's going to make a partner for it as it's equal and brings right. all the animals, blah blah blah. Like out of the side, oh, now we have two out of you know flesh out of my flesh. Now you know, this is fantastic. Leave your parents, start your own brood, go do it. Right. That's what it's talking about. It's not defining a thing or institution that we call marriage. It's talking about life passages or phases of life, or it's time to get out of the nest and start your own, or or comfort to a mom who's brokenhearted over losing her son, or this isn't about marriage. And, okay. Oh, okay. sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go. no. Go. Go. Okay. okay. All right. Yes. So, you know, okay. So, so my question here obviously yeah. Yeah. is, um, is I don't, when, when I read these passages, like when I read, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and, you, and right. he's united to his woman, we can say, right. and they become right. one flesh. I yeah. don't know how to read that other than marriage. Like, isn't that what marriage is? It's people coming together in a monogamous way, procreating and starting families. So how do you not see marriage there? Right. Okay. So the main reason I, I want to kind of put the brakes on is when is what their coupling looked like henceforth (laughs) is quite different than what yours with your wife, spouse, your spouse is, I'm assuming you have a wife, but yeah. Yeah, Um, Right. So, so for instance, so here's the thing. I mean, it's, it becomes, mm, you know, splitting hairs maybe, but it means something to me that, that there isn't a verb to marry that what we like in the Hebrew Bible. Hmm. Right. So for instance, Men go out and take, and the fathers of the women give. The men purchase, the fathers give, right? And the man takes home this new woman, has sex with her, and that's how he has marked her as his territory. That is literally what happens over and over and over. Okay? So, yeah. And this isn't take as in, do you take this person to be your spouse? It's like, no, literally, I'm, take your child and go sacrifice it. That verb to take is also used, I'm a man takes a woman, goes into her and claims her. So, so okay, yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. have language, right? No, I just, you know, I can't help myself, but want to talk a lot, but like they no, don't talk, have to talk. say, <laughs> I'm here right? They're not, they're not talking about it the way we are. So let's start there right? They're not labeling it the same thing that we are. They're not having bridesmaids showers and they're not, you know, engagement parties and they're not having even a ceremony. They're just having a dinner, a feast. And the, the couple goes in and the man claims like has sex with her. That's another thing about the Bible is they, it, it reflects the ancient idea of sex, which is predominantly talked about as something that a man does to another person, in this case, to his woman. But or to a woman. So, you know, they're not 
they're not talking about honeymoons. They're not talking about, you know, this isn't something that, hey, I love you, sweetie. Why don't we, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Like, that's not what's going on. So there's no dating going on is what you're trying to say. <laughs> no dating going on. Yeah. Okay. That's a good so place this to is, it, yeah, this is interesting. So I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. What, what I hear you kind of saying, by the way, full permission to correct me whenever you need to correct me. Okay. Cause you're okay. the expert here, but I don't hear a lot of consent in this language of like, oh, right. I mutually consent no. to being in relationship with you permanently Correct. for the woman's side. That's right. The, although I should say, biblically speaking, a couple of the women do seem game. You know, like when 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 Abraham sends his, pulls his servant, his slave aside and said, hey, I need you to go back home for me and find a woman for my son, right? And take a whole bunch of loot, right? Yep. And make sure you get someone from our kin. So a slave, a servant goes on Isaac's behalf, right? And he's uh, and before he gets to the well, he stops. And he's like, "All right, God, this is what I need to see happen in order for to know that I'm picking out the right woman." Right? Like, who does that? First of all, right. second of all, it was a really obvious thing. What you know? What nice? What friendly person isn't going to offer to water the animals of a stranger passing through town? Right? You just that's just what you do. But anyway, the point is. He, you know, they had this little interaction and the slave, the slave is like, oh yeah, she's the one. And he asks something about her family. He offers her a couple gifts and then she takes him to her family. And the next 40 verses, four zero are between the two men talking. Mm. So she seems game because, well, what are her options? This is her moment. Like mm. she's gets to be purchased and, and with someone good, someone solid. This is family even. So like, okay, you know, you've been groomed since you were a child for this moment. And so, yeah, she's game. Uh, wow. You know, I, Isaac sees her when she comes across the field, you know, coming back with the servant. He sees her, grabs her and takes her into this mother's tent and has sex with her. Like, this is it, babes. Right? Like. This is marriage. No whining and dining. Just boom, right to it. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I can at least buy her a meal first, you know, but I guess not. Precisely. Not in that case. Okay. So this is, again, helpful because you're right. I mean, I think a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this, you know, like you just kind of <laughs> assume like marriage is marriage, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get it. Maybe, maybe um, Eve didn't wear a white gown, but certainly God <laughs> pronounced them man and wife no. at some point. And right? there was no. a courting of like romantic love interests of like, Ooh, Adam's cute. And Ooh, Eve is beautiful. <laughs> and we'll see maybe, what happens. Maybe, but, but we're led to put that kind of, those are current ideas about it onto their relationships because the translations use husband and wife. I mean, right. in, in Genesis 2.23, it's in the Greek, in the Hebrew, it's ish and isha. In 2.24, it's ish and isha. In 23, every translation says man and woman. In, every, in, in 24, every translation says man and wife. And then over in chapter three, it's talking about the, you know, Eve chatting up a serpent like you do. Right. Um, right. Yeah. You know, and then she turns and hands some fruit to who? To her man or to her husband standing with her? Mm. Every translation says husband. Every translation says husband and wife. Mm. As, as soon, as early as Genesis chapter 3. There yeah. isn't a noun for husband or wife. Why are we calling it that? Well, we're calling it that because of our ideas about relationships. Right. So, that means that calling it husband and wife, referring to it with marriage language, we can't help 
but then import our own ideas about husbands and wives and marriages. And I think that's misleading for us today because they weren't doing or thinking about it the way that we are. So I prefer to take out husband and wife. And when I read scripture, whether it's from the newer te- the newer testament or the Hebrew Bible, I read it. I drop husband and wife language. I drop marriage language. I just let's talk about what it's saying in their world instead of toning it down, making it more palatable. Right. I mean, just I mean, I, honestly, I think about we can even put this in evangelical language of do we take the Bible seriously or not? Exactly. Right? So if we're going to take it seriously, we take it with all of its right. Its bumps and bruises and weird right. parts. About, uh, weird parts, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and then to your monogamy thing, you know, yes, like, yes, I know that people, yeah, I know that people, I know from my experience, we just kind of, just kind of slid right over some of the stuff that was awkward. We didn't know what, I didn't know what to do with. Right. So, right. so, you know, again, in, in the book, when I talk about this, I'm like, you don't get to s- sweep this under the carpet today. Jacob works <laughs> for seven years. And he turns to Laban and says, give me my woman so that I can go into her. My time of working for her is done. Mm. They have a feast and Laban puts the wrong woman in the bed with him. He claims that woman. He has sex with her. He wakes up in the morning, apparently pissed. And he's like, what did you do? What are you doing to me? I didn't. This is what I bargained for. And and the dad's like, well, we just don't do it that way. But you know what? If you just just give her that one week with you on Saturday, we'll give you the other one too. And so by the end of the week, Jacob has access to two sisters and their slaves for sex. This is marriage and is required. It is required to make the tribes of Israel. Like there's like you said about before we start, you know, recording, like nobody, the God isn't striking anyone down over this this is legit this is legit right well i mean i do one of my common arguments i i well whenever i'm talking about this with people who maybe don't see it the same way is i i say like you know i I understand that it sounds convenient to say well listen the bible is clear about about sexuality and marriage but if you take adam and eve as the first human beings literally that ethic is blown out of the water like one generation in because who's sleeping with who to have children like are the kids sleeping together and i've heard arguments like well sin wasn't as damaging back then as it was now I'm like, do you hear the, the the gymnastics that you're jumping through to justify gymnastics. incest? Yeah, I mean that's what it is. It, 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 again, if we operate yeah. on that framework, right? I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, Adam and Eve means the human in life. I think ultimately, like in in the in the language, if I'm, if I'm no expert, but I'm just saying, like, I think it's not pointing towards this like idea of historical <laughs> beings. But if it does, and you take that as the prescription for what marriage is. You're looking at some pretty weird things yes, for, for God to set it up this way and then say, well, I'll make an exception, I don't know, the second generation into the human experience, <laughs> right? Like, I'm not crazy, am I, Jen? Like, no, am I crazy no, for saying that? No, no, no. I don't know. No, I mean, and the no. same thing because I think with this whole polygamy conversation, again, I, I personally, I my wife and I are very content with how we are, um, awesome. and I'm not even saying that, you know, that that, pe- that we shouldn't be able to debate and wrestle through the ethics of some of these things. But sure. for people to say, well, the Bible is clear, I just mm-hmm. don't know that's, what Bible they're reading or what parts they're jettisoning to right. make the Bible like contort to this really weird standard that the Bible doesn't contort to, again, four chapters into the Bible. What are your thoughts on polygamy yeah. in the Bible? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... 
it's it's a very clear practice that no one is upset by. Hmm. So right, so the Jacob piece is a simple one, right? He works. Sure. Sorry, he's worked fourteen years. He deserves them. What, right? right? Like, do you hear what you're saying to begin with? That he literally owns these two women. Let's start there, okay? But yeah. you asked about polygamy specifically, yeah, so you know that yeah, like the the grandson of Abraham, right, has two has two women who are both. He's both he's married to both of them, and he has two others on the side. This is marriage, marriage, biblically speaking, right? Yeah. Um, what do we do with Solomon, right? All of the many women and concubines that he has. Um, nobody's upset at him about that. The only reason it's a problem at all is that some of them are foreign and might might tempt him to worship other gods, you know? Right, right. So polygamy, polygyny actually, but it doesn't really matter. But, but, but polygyny in the Bible is just a normal part of life. Hmm. And what's interesting is when we get to the Newer Testament, um, there's that one verse, two verses in in First Timothy that talk about whether or not a man, you know, the man who's going to be a deacon or a bishop, you know, um, yes. whether or not that line about whether or not, you know, a husband to one or a man to one woman. So, a husband to one wife, does that mean only one at a time? So, is this mm -hmm. countering polygamy that's actually still being practiced? Or is it saying you can only be married once regardless of what happens? You know, you don't get to remarry if she dies. You don't get to divorce and remarry. We're not sure what that phrase is trying to say, but it, mm. the, the question is there whether or not polygamy is still a practice in the first century. Wow. Now, mm -hmm. one common thing I hear often is Jesus. I think it's Matthew 7, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. It, it, it's, where, it's where the Pharisees are asking him about, about divorce. <laughs> It's Matthew right. 19, Matthew verses 19. 4 to 6. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Chapter See, 3 of my book. <laughs> you friends, Jen is the expert here, and I am not, okay? No, um, no. Um, but no, that's helpful. But that's, um, how, that's how typical it is. There are yes. four verses that people turn to to define biblical marriage. Right. And you they usually, the first three of them. <laughs> and they usually use it to, A, prove that, that, that queer marriage is definitely wrong, but they mm -hmm. also use it as a way to reinforce that Jesus cites the order of creation for what, what marriage should be. Can you maybe unpack that and how you talk yeah. about that in your book? Yeah, I'd love to. Great. One of the things, yeah, one of the things that's important to me to, to note is, you, and you said it, Tim, is there, the Pharisees are approaching him to say, which, for which reason do you approve of divorce? That's the premise in this passage, right? Yeah. Matthew 19, verse 3, they approach him and they're like, so for which reason is it okay? You know, so right. I think it's I think it's important to note that. And I know that really people take this verse to, to mean, um, yes, Jesus refers to that, that passage in Genesis and Jesus says no to divorce. So we take that as part of what we mean by biblical marriage, no divorcing, right? Right, right. Okay, okay. So one thing to note is Jesus is not making this pronouncement he is engaging in the debate about divorce that has preceded him. This is precisely the debate that he knows these guys have because they've been having it for hundreds of years already. Mm -hmm. So they ask, for which reason are you okay? For just any reason? Or does it have to be because somebody has committed adultery? Mm -hmm. And so he, right? So then he comes in and does the thing about, well, you know, what, therefore God, what God has joined together and refers to Genesis 2 24, let no one put us under. Nothing new here, folks. Jesus has not pronounced anything new yet, right? Hmm. And then I pause because, because then because when, when he goes on to say, you know, in, anyone who does divorce and remarry, that this is adultery, right? 
he's still not gotten to his main point, by the way. Mm. His main point is about affirming eunuchs as foremost in the kingdom. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Right. Isn't it? Um, but back to Jesus on the divorce and adultery. See, this is the thing. I this made me very uncomfortable when I first realized it because I because I knew I had to be honest about it. Right. And I didn't like that I was seeing Jesus um confirming that the reason that the reason that you don't divorce is because that means you will have sex with someone else and that means you are committing adultery. Adultery biblically speaking isn't about breaking a sacred bond. It's about having sex with someone else's property. Hmm. It is all about sex. It is not that you have offended someone. It is not that right it's not that you've you and your wife have a have a beautiful bond i'm assuming right an emotional bond a right. commitment you are probably great friends you know and all kinds of great things together yeah but the issue with adultery the reason adultery is a problem it's all about protecting the progeny that's my woman that's my property that's the language that's used in the hebrew bible in the laws in the in the stories that we see it's a problem because you've you've tapped someone else's property, um, and Jesus confirms that in this exchange. I'm I'm, I'm putting some pieces together here. Is that okay. why? And again, broadly speaking, and correct me sure. if I'm wrong. In my head, I'm I'm under the impression that that the way that the Bible talks about sex towards a woman is that she's defiled, but that a man is offended. Like, or a man is like robbed of something. Is that's that right. because of that's this right. like power dynamic at play where really the woman is defiled because that's someone else's property and the man is disrespected because you did something to their property without their, yes. without, without, yes. without their permission? Is that the Precisely. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I Holy smokes. Right? Well, I'm. Okay, I, I, there's so many other layers to pack in I here. Know. <laughs> but I, I, I have to go with it where I think we need to go, and maybe we'll okay. circle back around to, especially to the eunuch things. I remember you talking about this on a previous podcast that kind of blew my mind. So we'll get to that. But okay, now I'm thinking about the idea of like homosexuality in the Bible, okay. or like these yeah. so-called clobber verses we call them. Yeah, and I'm 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 linking the connection between um who owns who. And a power dynamic of like, okay, just you know, to put it maybe as proper as I can, a man would penetrate a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, yeah. claiming property, the woman right. has property, and yeah. you should not do that to another man because they're not property. Is that some of the layers underneath of some of this from the biblical perspective? I mean, yeah, I like the way you just put that. Man cool. is a man is not to be claimed. Only women get to be claimed, or only women are property. Yeah, I haven't actually I haven't actually thought about it in that specific framing. I use and so I'm just I just want to say thank you for that. I like that. You can quote me, no problem. I it's will. Yours. I will <laughs> when I publish something that says that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But it's it is it is. I love that. I love it when people show me new things like that. Um, but it is also it is also this ancient, you know, honor and shame. Ancient elements of what we would call homophobia are certainly alive and well, right? Mm. And it's also, I think there's several layers, but it's also about uh, a perceived um, inappropriateness of, um, you know, like 
always crack up when people say, don't waste your seed, like don't waste your semen as if, okay, first it's men writing these stories. Don't they know there's plenty more where that comes from? Come on. True. I mean, for a good long while. Yeah, um, absolutely. But so, okay, the, er, the, the, the need to procreate, to grow in numbers, don't waste it. I think that's a part of it. But it is more than that. It is back to this power dynamic. You don't ever want to treat a man the way you treat a woman. And mm. what kind of a man would allow himself to be treated that way? Mm. And we definitely see that at, in the first century when it comes to Paul and some of the Greco-Roman ideals around it. You see both um, you know, license. Men are having sex with men and then going home to their wives. This is, this is normal. This is not a bad thing. But you also see this other language about you know, other groups of other groups of men saying, how would, what kind of a man would allow himself to be treated this way? And, and mm. even talking about that as a disease, as mm. a, an effeminizing disease. So, you know, the, the due error, they get the, the error due to them in their bodies or whatever. Like yes. that's, that's a claim that comes out of the, um, the shamefulness of a man who is supposed to be dominant, allowing himself to be the passive person, the receiver in this sexual encounter, hmm. which again taps back into, sorry for that pun, the, um, <laughs> the idea of, <laughs> the idea of, um, should have asked how comfortable you are talking about sex. Um, all right, it's fine. We're, yeah, we all yeah, have it at some yeah, point in our we, life, we, mostly. So. <laughs> most fine. of us do, most yeah. Um, yeah, no, the idea that the way it's talked about um, in the he in the Bible, both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, is sex is something that a man does to another human, always to a lesser, lesser in power, lesser in status, and that's true not with not only within the the biblical context, but also the first century and some of the ancient, more ancient ideas. You see this idea; it's a thing a man does and and it's primarily an honor and shame system that's between men i think what i'm wrestling through as you're talking about this is first off it is very helpful and enlightening again to take the bible seriously and yeah. as john walton would say to take it on its own terms uh okay. not, not on our terms um and at the same time i think it also furthers our a lot of our suspicions that the bible isn't talking about marriage how we think about it and also right. it's not super clear on like yeah the parameters no. all the time. I mean, again, no. like, like like if a man can just take a wife and take another wife and have some concubines and have some right. more concubines and God's right. like, hey, not necessarily the problem. The problem is maybe this one concubine might make you worship a false god. That's, That's the right. issue. That is like, the issue. Okay, well that, I mean, listen, I grew up in purity, I grew up in purity culture, Jen. Uh -huh. Okay, uh -huh. and that was uh -huh. like not, that was not the concern. <laughs> Okay, the concern was where my reproductive organ goes before I'm yes. married, essentially. You know, that's like, right. I was pretty much taught don't touch yourself and don't touch others until you're married. Right. That's, that's right. what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and then all and, of a sudden it's supposed to be great. Uh huh. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and we do this because God commands us clearly, not, not ambiguously, not, not, it, it's, it's complicated, but just black and white clear. It's not. This is what God says no. via the Bible. Right. And then people like you come right. along who have done the hard work and you're like, eh, you know, I hate to break it to you, but yeah. not only is that maybe not the case, but maybe some of the biblical ethics, air quotes here, yeah, sure. are by a modern sensibility, pretty problematic, frankly. Totally problematic. <laughs> I mean, yes. Problematic. You just say it so nicely, Tim. Oh, no, wow, that's, that's, Jen, I'm honored. Thank you. Yes, seriously. <laughs> Right, you just yeah. cut to the heart of that. I'm just I, I, like, yeah. Talk to me. Let's about this. yeah. Let's talk about like no sex before marriage. Right. Yeah. Okay. There okay. are literally two verses in the Bible that back up that claim. 
I don't know if you're aware of that because men are going out and having sex with all kinds of people outside of marriage in the Hebrew Bible, and we don't see a whole lot of it going on in the Newer Testament, but but it happens a freaking lot in the Hebrew Bible, and people are not struck down for it, right? Where we get the idea comes from back to Genesis 2, 24, which is why I love to talk about it. Hmm. We get that idea. That's one of them. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his, not his woman, but now she's his wife. And so it's okay to have sex. Hmm. Claims to his woman and the two become one flesh and the translations inform us that they get married before they have sex. D- did that make sense? Say it one more time. So I, I agree. Yeah. That. Okay. So, yeah, so they're talking about man and woman in verse yes. 23. Right. Therefore, a right. man leaves his parents right. and joins to his, well, the translation suggests they just got married mm. so that it's okay for them to have sex in the next phrase. Right. Therefore, a man clings to his wife and they become one flesh and every, and they're not ashamed. The translation makes us think they just got married in between verse 23 and 24. Right. Right? So that's how we back that belief up that, well, they're having sex, but that's okay because they're married. They're, right. Okay. Well, they're not, there's no, there was no ceremony that took place. And we're just talking about people and desires to find a partner. We're not trying to define an institution here. Mm. They're talking about human desires. Right. So you've got this one, this 224 that's been misinterpreted. And I, I wish, you know, I, it's one of those things I wish I had a camera, like a picture every time I was in a classroom with students and they're like, what, what do you mean they didn't get married? My you whole know? life's a lie. Yes. <laughs> yes. The other verse that I know of that backs up this misinformed belief is in first Corinthians seven, verse eight. And I know I forgot to open up my Bible to it, but it's that passage. that says, you know, when Paul's like, well, if you're, Burning with passion, it's better to get married than to, bl- to than to burn with passion, right? Yes. Do you know yes. what I'm talking about? Oh, totally. thousand percent. Yeah. Right? And I thought, exactly. Like, my when I was in college, I was still, you know, doing my young life days. And we we read that as, okay, if you can't handle, like, you, you've just got it so bad for each other, right? right. And you know you're not going to have sex before marriage, and you just got to have it, then go get married so you can have it. Hell yeah. Right. How many couples do you know that got married just so they could have sex? I, I know none. I know not one couple, not myself, not anyone else <gasps> who ever thought about that ever. <laughs> nope. I thought, thought you were being serious. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely right? did not think that. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, for and sure. here's the thing. And here's what Paul means there. Paul is anti-passion. He's like, dude, if you can't keep your own self under control, then it's, you better go get married because that'll help you keep the passion under control. Right. Not that's the place to go indulge your passion. That is mm. not what he's saying. Mm. I, I sure misunderstood that and so did all my friends. And but you know, so so the issue is okay. He is still saying if you got to have ma- if you got to have sex, you go get go get married. But he's not coming at it in terms of sex outside of marriage is bad even if he does maybe think that he's he is talking about a bigger picture he's been posed with a question it's better if a man doesn't touch a woman and the the question is about married couples whether married couples should be abstaining from sex and whether that makes them holier Hmm. i mean you know it was a thing there was a movement in the early christian there's an early christian movement along these lines right that they're, they're talking about this, that abstinence makes us holier. And, 
And if I, you know, if I drop my kind of playful, whatever vibe here, like I get that, right? There's an element of restraint and self-control that kind of, you know, brings out some sort of other side to us. Yeah. But, but as a like worldwide or churchwide or whatever, like statute, like mandate, all, right. like, that's, that's a whole different thing. And Paul does, he spends that rest of that chapter saying as many times and ways as he can, it's better if you abstain. I'd rather that you didn't get married like I am, but if you've got to, you've got to, right? Like over and over and over, chapter seven is pretty long and he Every, like all, he goes through all these different rela possible relationships and people's statuses, and he tells them he thinks it's better to stay widowed if you can, stay unmarried, don't get married if you don't have to, like over and over and over again. Paul is not pro-marriage, and he is certainly not <laughs> pro any kind of what I would think of as healthy sex. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So when Paul says things like flee sexual immorality, or hey, um, haven't you been warned that you know the fornicator or adulterer won't inherit the kingdom? What is he talking about there? Then is he talking about the same mm -hmm. kind of idea of like for those of you who just can't keep it in your pants and won't get married, there's just no place for you? Like because <laughs> I think about that as well. Like those passages have been drilled into my head since Got I was it. a kid. That look, flee from sexual immorality. So don't whatever you know. Don't hook up with don't hook up hook up with your girlfriend too far or something like that. Yeah, and what did they, you know, what did what did Paul mean in context by sexual immorality? Yeah. I I have heard I've had people tell me with absolute certainty that that means just having sex outside of marriage. That's what I was taught. What what else could it be? We don't know. Oh. But you're we don't a scholar. Know for sure. I know. <laughs> you're supposed to, you're supposed to have all the answers, Jen. That's what I'm here to tell you. <laughs> we Maybe don't know. That, we don't know for sure if that's what they mean. Interesting. People have made the claim, and that's what's interesting to me. Someone like Augustine makes the claim. Well, Augustine had all kinds of jacked up issues with sex and like and original sin to the semen and weird stuff oh like gosh. that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That the the one thing that salvages marriage is having children. One thing having sex salvages. Yeah. Oh my God. Really. Anyway, um, uh, sexual immorality. We actually like, you know. I think I'm of two minds on this. We don't, okay. I don't think we know with certainty what Paul's referring to and that it could be like, you know, I was, I was talking to my mom my mom's a pastor. I was like, you know, is it the wrong position? Is it right. having sex? Is it sex outside? Is it sex that can't pr be procreative? Which is another thing people have said, that's what it is. It's sex that can't be procreative. Sex right. that's outside of marriage. Like we don't know for sure. And so, you know, one of the things I just want to say is I just get really tired of judging people's sex. It's not my, yeah. it's not my business. What happens in other people's consensual relationships really just isn't my business. And I'm tired of people judging it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I think that's fair. And I, I think that, I mean, there have been evangelical culture has this, has this weird relationship to sex where on one hand, mm -hmm. they are like really you know, hey, no sex before marriage. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, they have no problem mm -hmm. telling 15-year-olds like, dude, 
sex is great and trust me it's all wink wink permissible once you get married you know you know what i'm saying and and, and they tend to be like don't worry we're real because we'll talk about oral sex once you're married you know is it permissible or not but like again these are all things that like how do we know paul didn't have that in his mind when he says sexual morality or like you said a certain sexual position uh that might imitate you know one being passive or one not being passive there are all other kinds of things sexually that humans have done and 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 can do that might be still heterosexual but still jettison the ethic of paul right potentially precisely Precisely. And how do we measure Again, that? <laughs> again, well said. And I don't have anything to say back. Okay, that's fair, I guess. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think a person should read Paul well prepared to ha- keep themselves grounded and protect what they know to be actually good and true about being human. Well, well, one of the things that's interesting is, do you know who uh, Dan McClellan is? He's, I do. I'm yeah. a big fan of his TikToks. It's just really, nice. I just enjoy yeah. it, you know? It's as solid. Someone, yep. Well, as someone who is not in an academic, I've only heard amazing things about Dan from other academics, so I find him kind of trustworthy. And mm-hmm. he, he mentions on one of his videos that, you know, we are happy to jettison many of the ethics of Paul, you know, including the whole celibacy being the highest calling. Uh, none of us, well, not none. Uh, many of us don't think that God's coming back 2,000 years ago or, or tomorrow like Paul did. And so, you know, we, we don't, many right. people have long hair as men or many people right. don't exactly. greet, greet each other with a holy kiss, et cetera. Right. And right. so I have thought about that, about that, like, okay, this is so interesting that my evangelical tradition, depending on where you land, might say, hey, Paul didn't really mean women can't be silent. Um, so women preachers are fine, but then when it comes to sex, well, Tim, the Bible's clear. Like Paul <laughs> says homosexual, it's in the Greek, bro. It's in the Greek homosexual. And then when you challenge it, then all of a sudden people in my tradition say, well, you're just too progressive or you don't, ha- you don't have a high view of scripture, but really it comes down to what our traditions tolerate as acceptable That's right. That's right. versus what they interpret away from the text. And I think right. for a lot of people, sexual topics um yeah. are just one of those things where i don't know i kind of feel like misled on regarding yeah. like the bible being clear on it or not i'm not saying yeah. that that i don't want to have a healthy sexual ethic and that we want to have an ethic that yeah. is listen yeah. I, i'm not i tell people this all the time i'm not a fan of, of hookup culture it's not i don't think right. it's healthy long term i don't think 18 year olds should be just sleeping with people willy-nilly Randomly. without considering yeah. the, the ramifications right Agree. How, however, <laughs> I feel like some people, <laughs> when they're when they're when they finally come to Jesus and see this, oh my God, the Bible isn't clear. They, it, it's almost like a license to finally experiment in ways that maybe they've been curious yeah. about, but now yeah. have no boundary or wisdom to navigate because their only boundary has just been Precisely. blown to smithereens. Exactly. They didn't have a f- healthy framework or framework of conversation or this right. is a part of life let's talk about it it was an all or nothing that's not helpful for anyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you i mean listen i know you're not an ethicist i get that but like give but i know lots of them <laughs> perfect and yep. drawing on your own wisdom and your own experience and maybe knowledge of the text does the bible have anything to offer about how we navigate our sexual ethic today in 2023. Is there anything that we can go, you know, maybe there's some wisdom here. Uh, we're not going to call it sin or not sin for sake of this conversation, but is there wisdom that we can glean from to navigate sex, human sexuality, which is very complicated? I almost said absolutely nothing. And then... Um... <laughs> 
I like you, Jen. I hope you stay friends for a long time. Thanks, me too, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I actually had someone ask me, well, it, where are the passages that tell us to like listen to each other in relationships? I was like, there aren't any. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> sensitivity? Right. Consent? Um, no. Consent? Right. Yeah, oh, right. oh, I loved it. I had a student recently, we were talking about like the Hebrew Bible laws and she's like, too bad there isn't one that says, do not lie with a woman who doesn't want to lie with you. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Yeah, sorry. I know, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I know that sometimes people get tired of this, but uh, Song of Songs. We have some beautiful, well, and sometimes a little odd poetry, you know? Sure. Yes. About that. It's, it's semi erotic, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I always want to point out, I think it's important to point out they are they are still on a very like physical level. This whole book is you know I I I approve of it. It's great. They, not that they need my approval, but like it's all about how beautiful she is, how beautiful he is, and that's great. I think that's a that we need that in the Bible. Sure. But it is none of it is about like how amazing they are at listening and how brilliant they are. Like all any of us sapiosexuals, sapiosexuals, right? Like yeah. I'm attracted to someone's mind. That's not in there, you know. Um, so, you know, is there anything that helps us navigate sexuality? No. There are, however, a few moments of like, there's a blueprint about abusive relationships and what they look like. Mm -hmm. So we can learn from that and, and learn what not to tolerate. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't have anything that talks about anything that's going to come even close to what I would consider a healthy conversation or any kind of reflective you know just be in touch with yourself or take be safe or respect yourself and your partner like there's nothing there's nothing that talks about it like that because biblically speaking sex is a thing men do do to the women okay can we zoom out for a minute <laughs> cool with that yes. like can we zoom out out of the biblical worldview for a minute yes cool so let me ask you this question, because I think this is important for us as modern people to have to wrestle with. I think I'm, I'm not accusing you of doing this. I'm saying I've been guilty of this. And I think that I've seen parts of this in more progressive spaces where their unintentionally becomes another kind of arrogance of like, oh, those people are just idiots or abusers or horrible people. And we as enlightened 2023 thinkers about all these topics have a much better ethic that we should just completely soak in with no critical thinking. And so how do you as a biblical scholar navigate, obviously based on what you're telling me, and I believe you, you know, the Bible doesn't have a lot of positive ways of handling sex, how we would see these things. Um, how do you like keep a, um, a perspective that isn't like almost supremacist, but also is like, well, I want to, mm. I also want to be honest about like, yeah, you know, we call people who aren't engaging consensually, that's called rape. You know, like that's, that, that's a really bad thing. And the Bible talks about it like that. So we have to, we have to deal with it with what it is. How do you navigate that for yourself? I, um, if I start to get emotional, by the way, don't worry about it. I'm okay with that. Okay. Um, yeah, because this stuff is important to me, but I might yeah. get, because I've been steeped in it, um, mm. you know, it's kind of close to the surface sometimes. But sure. I think there are a lot of, you've touched on a lot of pieces there, at least from my perspective. Um, when I just kind of threw it out there um, about 
we have a blueprint for abusive relationships. I'm I'm thinking of several. One of the chapters a talk is is called "What Are They Modeling?" Mm. and so looking beyond just passages that are talking about married couples or whatever, but like you know, like in the Hebrew Bible prophets, several four or five of them talk about God as a husband to Israel or Judah, and 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 so in the chapter I set up first, I talk about you you know let's i need you to know that god is talked about is as an abusive an emotionally and physically abusive husband let's talk about what i mean by that and so i look at i describe what we know today happens the kinds of things that are typical not in every relationship but are typical in abusive relationships today i have a pretty long paragraph trying to be as succinct as i can and at the end of the paragraph and i say and god is depicted doing every single one of these things in one of the prophets in his relationship with Judah or Israel. Okay. So God, it's not like it's all the time, but it, you know, the only time a the husband-wife relationship is brought in to the prophets is to is to put people in their place. It's never to celebrate the fact that Israel is God's husband. It's to say, and you are a cheating whore because you're worshiping these other gods. And when are you going to stop your whoring? And Ezekiel, you know, 16 has it 13 times and Ezekiel 23 has this horrific, awful stuff, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at Hosea and I use Hosea specifically when I do classes because it is clear and it like gives sense chills up my spine still Hmm. at how well it models kind of the, the cycle of a, of an abusive relationship. So I want to look at that and say, here's the thing, folks. What we're seeing happening here is 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 it was it's what abusive relationships look like. Hosea was probably an abusive man. That's why he was so good at putting it into words in ways different than the other three or four do. Um, and he's the earliest, and so maybe they all just kind of tone it down. I've, there's more to say about this, but I think it's really important to say this is in there. It's not the only thing in there, but God is being talked about as an abusive partner, and if there's any level that people are able to read that numbly and not see how awful it is that God is calling Israel names, God is threatening to rape her, God is threatening to let her hand her over to her enemies so they will rape her. Like, if there's any level of finding a way to make it okay because it's God, think about what that's telling us and teaching us about relationships, that we're, we're being taught to somehow accommodate, be okay, because at the end, God says he loves us and wants us back. That's, I mean, it's textbook. So that to me is something I want to, is something I do highlight in multiple ways. Um, it shows up in the Newer Testament in First Peter 3, same thing. So I want to talk about those elements, but not just because it's in there, but because these are the logical conclusions of what relationships will look like when they start out the way they do in the Hebrew Bible, which is a man is in charge, a woman is property, and sometimes men get pissed when the woman does something against his will. And sometimes men behave X, Y, Z. And what we see playing out because of this thoroughly patriarchal, hierarchical language for male-female relationships. As you're talking, I'm putting two and two together. 
Um, okay. because I'm thinking about, I'm not sure how closely you follow evangelical world news. Um, but you know, like John MacArthur recently, another story dropped that essentially there was a man, um, who he hired on staff who ended up molesting his own children. Uh, when the woman came to them for counseling, when he, he would, she didn't know that he was sexually abusing them, just abusing them. They essentially said that she has to reconcile to her husband. And when she said no, they blasted her publicly and put her on church discipline. This happened like a 10 years ago. Now that man, his name's David Gray, he's still in prison for the molestation of children. And John MacArthur has written letters to him, thanking him for his ministry in prison. And when this all came out, I'm not kidding. I mean, this has been well-documented by Julie Royce, the Royce Report. When this came out over a year ago by Julie Royce, a lot of what I called the bro-vangelicals, so that's like those reform types, really circled the wagons and said, well, this is not good reporting. This is not the, we don't know all the details. And then when Christianity Today reinforced the story with, with more data, uh, the same thing has happened. So I think about that. And then I think about, do you know who, who Doug Wilson is? I'm sorry. You I should don't. be, no, don't you know, you should not be sorry. You should say, Thank Jesus Almighty. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who Doug Wilson. It's not is. taking up room in Doug, my brain. Doug Wilson, for my audience, when they when you just when you just described all that a second ago in that little monologue, they're going to think of Doug Wilson right away. Someone who would argue that yes, essentially, you know, women are there to make the sandwiches and make babies, and uh, men are the ones that that penetrate and conquer. I mean, that he's used that language directly. This is someone who's a pretty well known name in evangelical spaces. He has his own publishing company. Again, not not influential, all right, by right, any right. means. And I say all this because I think as you describe that, I think that's what a lot of these more complementarian, you know, um, evangelicals are doing is they're saying, yeah, look, we're just reading the text. You know, the Bible's right. pretty clear. Like, uh, we're right. in charge. Women yep. follow. Of course, we yep. should love our wives like Christ loved the church. But ultimately, as long as they, you know, stay in line, right? I mean, I, I don't mean to put it crudely because no, I know people in our biblical. community have suffered serious abuse by right. that theology. Right. But it's not like you can't make the Bible say it. It does say it. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. You just quoted the fourth verse that people turn to for biblical marriage. Yeah, I've been around it for a bit, Jen. I've been yes, around it for have. a bit. I know. But it's like, yeah, let's talk about what that verse is actually saying in context. And let's talk about all that, you know. Oh my gosh, I had a twi- a little Twitter fest like back like five or six years ago with a progressive female pastor who told who said she thought Ephesians 5 21 to 33 is is about equality between a husband and a wife. But it says for a woman to be submissive to her husband the way she is to the Lord. How right. is that equality? How is that equality? It does say, it does say what we call love patriarchalism. It does tell the man to love his wife, which is progressive at the time. Like, sure. hey, that's interesting. Why don't we talk about what's progressive for the time now, too? Right. But it, yeah. Well, I but, think. Oh, God. No, you finish, finish your thought. I will talk. Later. I just, go ahead. no, no, it's because I could keep, go- yeah, I don't want to do a long, long monologue like I did before, but no, please, but, please do. But, I insist. Yeah. But, but, you know, like, okay, let's talk about what's really going on there because there's a lot of fear language, false fear language. Um, you know, when it says to the woman, to the women, and it's always translated wives, um, to be, to fearfully obey the men, you know, and as you are, subs- as you are, sub, 
as you were uh, obedient or submissive to the Lord, that's the level at which you're to be obedient to your man. And then it goes on to talk about, and it has this very complicated thing about like, yeah, because Christ is the head of the church, just like the man is the head of the wife. And like, all of a sudden we went from, we're all submissive to each other to holy, nope, this is very hierarchical. This is not two equals. Right. And I think it's important to say, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to men. Like, like, I don't like what it's saying to women, but I also don't think it's fair to men because you, you guys don't get to actually die for your wife and be brought back to life the way Jesus apparently was crucified and was brought back from the grave. He got to die for the church, but was brought back to life. Mm. And that's the bar there is for men to love their wives the way Christ loved the church, which was to lay down his life for them. And I've said that you know, like in a live setting. And I've had men say, oh, I don't, I just like the self-sacrificial example. I'm like, that was, that's called mental gymnastics. Like mm -hmm. you just found a way to be okay with a standard that's not actually fair to you. But um, what, what I just want to summarize on this is the man yeah. is being said to love his woman and that's unusual, but it's immediately followed up with, and the woman is to fear her man. This is not two equals. And, you know, I, I, we could talk about whether or not you like the hierarchy, the whole, you know, I'm a mathematician, the whole, you know, <laughs> Christ is to the church as the man is to the woman, you know, like we've got this pair, we've got this parallel thing going on, you know? Yeah. This is, you know, that is biblical and that is in there. And that's what you referenced before. And so is the, the language about teaching or teaching or telling counseling women it's usually women we should note that not all abusive relationships are between heteros right. and sometimes women can be the abusers it's not as typical but it does happen yes but for the just speaking about it um in first peter three that's what i did my dissertation on same thing right that's the passage that says women be silently submissive and win your husband's over with your actions right, right. That's a belief that is put into that letter, the belief that you can win him over, which I think the writer meant well when he said that. I think he meant that. I think he believed that was possible, but right. it isn't. Abusive relationships always get worse. They, no matter what you say or do, it doesn't ever get better. So, so you have this woman you're referred to, right, who was told to go back into the abuse, you know, told to go back and good for her for not, but it's biblical to counsel a woman to stay, right? Yep. That, yeah. So that's the thing, right? There are also passages, like there's a sliver here in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about men and women as, as actually mutually belonging to each other. Right. Well, that's in stark contrast to what we just said, saw in Ephesians 5. Right. So, which, which brings me back to the other comment I wanted to slide in there at some point, which is the Bible isn't clear about anything. Everybody cherry picks, no matter the topic. Yep. yep. No matter the topic, you yep. can find a passage to support your your perspective. Yeah. Well, that, that happens every single time I quote about, you know, um, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than uh, a camel huh? through the eye of a needle. And then some bro evangelicals like, whoa, well, Solomon was really rich. It's like, yeah, right. I forgot. You know, oh, well, Saul was really rich. Like the, the point is like, yeah, like we all, we all do this though. It's, my, it's kind of my point, right? It's like everyone, but I think what's frustrating is for a lot of us who grew up in the, and you were, you were a fundamentalist at one point, like you yeah, said, right. you know, you amount. know, that's not the language. 
that's used, right? The language is the Bible is clear. We're sitting on God's objective <laughs> truth. The right. Bible, you know, you're, you're in, in the language so often is, well, you, the quote unquote, whoever, progressive, whatever, you're making the Bible say whatever you want while we're just reading the text faithfully. And I think my, my, my one of my, my biggest gripes of being in those spaces and now being out of them is that they're not intellectually honest with themselves. That's right. And, and what happens is you develop this really weird verbal humility, but your actions are so arrogant and so <laughs> prideful. You're like, wait, do you not see what you're doing? Right. And I think the last thing I want to say about this, and I'm, I'm really processing this in the moment with you for the first time. So, so mm. audience, this is kind of a new thought that I'm thinking about, but based on what you're telling me, Jen, like, I'm not exactly sure what to do with the Bible because I grew up and I still do hold mm-hmm. to the Bible as some way authoritative in my life, but okay. I don't know what the hell that means now. You know, like, I, I, like because I, I feel like, like the more people I talk to who are legitimate scholars, theologians, academics, and I, I talk to a lot of them, um, mm-hmm. the more I'm like, hmm, the way I was taught to approach the Bible is less and less sustainable yeah. long-term. Yeah, I still think that there's a lot of wisdom. I think that there is something special with how we have the Bible. But even then, I'm like, well, what, what about the Eastern Orthodox Bible, which is different than the Catholic mm-hmm. Bibles? So I even get my own head about this. So I think a lot of us are just trying to navigate where does the Bible fit in our lives and how do we have it at times be that lamp unto my feet, <laughs> right? But also, yeah, if I'm if I'm going to be serious and again, do what, 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 what my own tradition taught me to do, which is not to trust them and to examine yeah. the word. And yeah. I find it not saying what I thought it was saying <laughs> or in right? some ways being problematic. Yeah. What do I do with this now? I think that's the yeah. challenge I have to wrestle through as I continue to navigate my own spirituality and faith and, and really allegiance to Jesus. Yeah. Yikes. And that's, <laughs> No, it is yikes. And it's it challenging. Is, it's work actually, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. When um you know, I I I didn't bring a copy of my book here to this chair. I have one in the closet. Can I get up for real, real quick? Yeah, Maybe. go ahead. I'll just stall. <laughs> so right now Jen is going to get her book for all of us. Friends, are you enjoying this conversation? Is your mind blown? <clears throat> Let me know. I'm curious. Well, so I've I, you know, like I, I have spent a lot of time doing that and I, I don't want to do like, oh, I've got a response for that, you know, for you, because part of it is I just need to let you just sit with what you just said and do the processing that you need to do. I do have some thoughts on it. And um, I did write this book. Oh, permission granted. Take the Bible into your own hands. Is this Marxist propaganda, Jen? Is this, is this what this is? <laughs> oh, I knew it. Here it comes. <laughs> Be your own God. Is that what you're going to tell right? me? You know? Be your own God. No, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Where did I? You know, because the slippery slope, you know, we start questioning all these things, right? <laughs> First, it's like, a literal seven-day creation. And then before right? you know it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> No, I have a lot of thoughts about it because I think there's so many layers to it. But here's the thing about it. Um, I think of it in terms of, well, what is it that you believe? Okay, if we're going to say, if we're going to posit that the Bible, can we say that the Bible points us to God? Can we say that on some level? Do you agree with that statement at all? Yeah. The Bible kind of points us to God. Yeah. But it's written by humans who are flawed. Right. Right. And who at times actually have some pretty strong agendas. 
bias I'm discovering. <laughs> right? <laughs> or just unaware of their own bias and right, right. their own context influencing what they write. So, yeah. So, how do you navigate that? So, one of the things I say to people when I, you know, like at the end of a semester that I've, we've had a come, we've been able to kind of be with each other for a while, you know, like I don't yeah. just normally come out and say this, but, right. you know, like, but what is it you think God is, right? What, what is it that, that is of God? And, right. and I, you know, I kind of talk about it in the chapter 12. It's like two pages. Like, now what? I've just walked you through a kind of a deconstruction or a, a critical thinking reading of pretty much every part of the Bible. Now, where does that leave you? Because I've taken a lot of things apart. Right. But the thing is, you know, the, it, it, the Bible itself isn't God, right? Totally, right. And so, when I approach it, I, I have my own filter or lens or litmus test, call it what you want, right? Sure. For me, if something is of God, then that means it is loving and empowering and right, merciful and s- speaks the truth. And I have these things that I believe, and it usually focuses in on empowerment and right, hearing the oppressed and those kinds of things. And so when I see a passage that is not, that is counter to that, that is not of God. I'm okay saying no. That came from a human that has whatever flawed human intent. Mm. There are elements in scripture that I do think talk about empowerment and love and this thing that is beyond, right? Or the thing that that combines us all or joins us all, whatever, however you yeah. want to talk about it. Sure, sure. But I think of it that way, that this can be useful if it shows us the way to what God is. And I do think and know that we kind of all define God differently. And that's why it's like, well... Yeah. You know, yeah. I also have, yeah, I have two more books in me. One is about redefining God and one is about before reading Paul, read this. So oh, well, I have lots of thoughts about this. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it just sounds like we'll have to have more and more conversations. I know. Is what I'm hearing you say. Unfortunately for you, we'll have to talk deeper about this. I would love it. I mean, I just think it's interesting and it might be good to kind of like, just from a few, few more minutes, explore this because I think what I hear is, like I'm a big fan of the Bible Project podcast. I, I Tim Mackey and John Collins. I'm a big fan personally of their work. It's been very helpful for me. Okay. Um, just just to just think about the Bible from an evangelical lens in a very different way. You know. Okay. And okay. and as I've been like listening to them and reading others, I'm like, yeah, there there are these themes in Scripture of like a God who tends to take sides, like often of like you know. For instance, he drowns Pharaoh in Exodus, right? Like, okay, liberates his people in this story of the Exodus. We can debate if it's historical or not, whatever. But the point is that it's there, right? And he ends up drowning the empire. Okay, that's pretty violent, but there's a theme here. Then you read Jesus and you see, okay, I've come to bring liberation to the oppressed and good news to the poor. Okay, more of these themes. Yeah. Um, You know, and then like, hey, Matthew 25, if you don't clothe the naked and feed feed the, the hungry, like, um... You know, eternal know. eternal judgment probably awaits, right? In some way, shape, or form. Okay. So I do see like these beautiful parts where I'm like, wow, there is this like theme of like, okay, a God who is thinking about and looking at the ones who fall through the cracks and saying, you take care of them. Like you be aware of this. That's helpful. But at the same time, my fundamentalist background says, well, Tim, either you take, you, either you take the Bible as a whole and all of it's good and bad. Or you just take none of it. Like there's no in between. Because if you start picking and choosing, what's your what's your final authority? You 
and you can't trust your thoughts and your intuition because it's depraved ultimately. It's wicked. I mean, that that's how like the structure is built, right? It is. So that is. so that's kind of like where I find myself still. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I see sometimes these beautiful themes and also ancient wisdom and mis- mystical wisdom sometimes. What is totally. being united with what does being united with Christ actually mean? I don't know. However, there are also parts like in this conversation where I'm like, yeah, the Bible's view on sex is like pretty damn problematic. And uh, yikes. It is. <laughs> like both and, you know, that's where I struggle. Yeah. And I I'm am done. not here to I resolve <laughs> that struggle for you. Darn it, Jen. That's why I'm I here. <laughs> I needed the one line. I needed like you know, the, 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 the evangelical preacher three-point sermon up. to tie mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's the point. Maybe we have to wrestle. One who wrestles with the divine. You know, Maybe we have to participate right. in that tradition and just work it out with fearing and trembling. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of... Um, Encouraging people to stop being children of God and encouraging them to be adults of God, which means children need black and white. Yeah, Adults can handle nuances and the grays and all the colors in between. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, there are a lot of elements of, of this collection of scripture that teach us that we, that teach us to expect dualistic thinking and you know the whole all or nothing idea and that that is safe and that is what we give children as a good foundation and then we help them learn how to navigate beyond that yeah and it's really a shame to me that most faith communities don't give people the adult version of faith but they keep them in this blind faith this obedience and don't give people adult versions of understanding scripture, adult versions of understanding faith matter, like, you know, the, anyway, it's kind of a tangent, but. I love it. It's important for us to hear. A lot of us, like I say, we, I think a lot of us who are quote unquote deconstructing, frankly, just honestly put, are just kind of mad at how stunted our growth is spiritually. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm telling you, like when I, I, I just thought like this is all there is to being a Christian. Like you just pray this mm-hmm. prayer, you serve on worship team, you you watch a Matt Chandler video here or there. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a real heretic, maybe you read a Rob Bell book if you're really if you're really out there. And uh, you know, wow. that's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, this is it. And uh, now you just attend church and tithe and uh, become a leader in the church, and you've reached the Christian the Christian pinnacle. Uh, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of us um, yeah. are just kind of pissed off. You know, like we. We're not really thrilled with 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 this very narrow slice of the pie we were given and not even exposed to anything else. I mean, I was taught my entire life eternal conscious torment is the only biblical Christian perspective on hell. Flat out. Annihilationism is heresy, universal reconciliation is definitely heresy and was never taught in the church and this is all there is. And like the second you discover that like actually no, it's more complicated than that. Uh, you get kind of pissed because you just feel kind of gaslit, honestly. Totally. Over and over and over and over on every single topic, right? Yes, yes. And I, and, and I don't even think that most of my pastors or, or leaders were intentionally doing this. They no, were just they, I don't think telling they were. me what, what they were taught. That's right. But my God, like it's not They're sustainable. They're protecting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's and not. you know what? And I'm sorry. Now I'll rant you, but last minute, yeah. they're, they're going to land great. this plane. But I love what you said about the children of God versus the adult being an adult of God in a way, because that 
that theology, that evangelical, mainly American evangelical theology, it is in so many ways like an inch deep. I hate to say it that way. This is the tradition. This is the tradition that birthed me. Okay, yeah, that, yeah. That, that really, in a way, it radicalized me to do the work I'm doing now in a whole different way. Like they <laughs> radicalized me for for white Jesus. And and, <laughs> and so I say that because looking back, I'm like, wow. I thought I knew so much from listening to these brilliant leaders who would run the evangelical pastor and, and author circuit, but their theology was so narrow and like thin shallow yep shallow and so i just think a lot of us when we when we listen to folks like yourself and other, there's so many others you know trip fuller and pete Ent yeah. and angela parker a woman's theologian and, she and, awesome and, oh she's one of my favorites and you know adam clark who was mentored by james cone directly and you start talking to them and you're like oh my god this is so this is so beautiful but it's scary it's frankly jen it's fucking scary it's yeah. really scary for a lot of us because, you know, you're just taught if you leave, you're on the way to hell. So mm -hmm. it, I, I say that because I'm grateful for your work. I mean, you doing mm -hmm. this hard work, it helps people like myself and others who are really radically committed to Jesus as much as we mm -hmm. can, but mm -hmm. also like want to take our faith seriously. We don't want to live in ignorance. We want to be honest about like the problems that we deal with and our, our own traditions, complicity and, and a lot of harm. And I mm -hmm. think part of that is I think part of healing that process is by first ripping off the Band-Aid and looking mm -hmm. at the wound seriously and mm -hmm. just saying, this is what it is, and we got to yeah. deal with it. Yeah. And if I can throw a couple thoughts, just one or two thoughts on that. Throw them. What I put in my intro to Permission Granted, I talk about my own journey a little bit, right, which is very similar to what I hear you describing. Yeah. And as I struggled in seminary, like every week, like, what yeah. do you mean? That's not, it's not what I thought. Wait, what? what? Who, who made the decision about this <laughs> Trinity thing? Like, wait, are you right, kidding me? Right, right. I don't agree with your premise. Okay, so what helped me survive was the two things. Um, if God gave me my mind, it has to be okay to use it. And in particular, in the parts of my life that are most important to me. And especially in seminary, that was my faith. Like, it has to be okay to use, not check it out at the door, but bring it in, right? Yeah. The second thing was, if God and the Bible, for me, it was pretty much the Bible, they, those were kind of the same thing, you know? Yeah. If, they can't, if they can't handle the questions and the prodding, then they don't deserve my devotion. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah, right? I think we'll let the audience sit with those two questions. I think that's a great way to end this Aww. conversation. Okay. This was great. It really was. Yeah, it was. I uh, enjoyed this. I need you to make me a, a, a contingent pro a promise. Um, when okay. your new book comes out, whenever it's yeah. ready to go to print, you got to yeah. come back on the show so we can talk okay. about it. I would love to. That'd Are be kidding? great. I, I think it'd be yeah. really good. I think our I think the community will will find more of these conversations very helpful for them to reconcile what seems like it could be at odds with actually yeah. finding some kind of congruency of of better ways forward in the Christian tradition. So, Jen, where can folks find you? I mean, are you on are you on Twitter? Are are you tweeting back at Pro Evangelicals? Like, what are you I, doing these days? <laughs> I have to be honest. I don't do much in that realm because that can take so much energy and time. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all you can spend all your time there, right? Don't get me started. No, I won't. Yeah. But, <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> but I am. I mean, I do have like an Instagram and a Twitter, but I'm mostly like I'm kind of academicy. So like I keep like taking pictures of like quotes from my book. You know, great. Up in, great. That's what I do. Oh. So the best way to find me is just to go to my website, and you can connect all my other stuff there. So my website's jennifergracebird.com, and it's you can see everything there. 
Awesome. Well, yeah. Jen, thank you again for your time and for coming on the podcast. I'm sure we'll do this again. It means I'd a lot. Love to. So thank you. I'd love to. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.